0: Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, editor-in-chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, take it to the limit. On June 3rd, President Biden signed the debt limit bill into law, successfully averting what would have been the first-ever U.S. government default. And although the end result passed on a bipartisan basis, there was a lot of uncertainty on both sides of the aisle leading up to it. So what's in the bill, and what should we expect next? Joining me now to talk more about this is Tax Notes reporter Alexander Rafat. Alex, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Dave. Great to be back. Why don't we start from the the basics. What ended up in the final bill? So I'm going to take your question
1: and flip it on its head and start with what is not in this bill. So the bill does not include any elimination of the energy tax credits included in the Inflation Reduction Act that Republicans wanted to scrap. It also does not claw back the $80 billion in IRS funding that was also included in the IRA last year. However, what's also not included but is of noteworthiness is in a separate agreement that has been agreed to between the Biden administration and congressional Republicans um, to essentially claw back 25% of the $80 billion, so about $20 billion over the next two fiscal cycles. So in terms of what is actually in the bill, in terms of what Republicans had hoped to achieve originally and what has actually been enacted, there's actually only $1.4 billion that is going to be immediately um, rescinded from the additional IRS uh, funding in addition to a number of other adjustments. In terms of work requirements for certain benefits, um, but in terms of what is in the bill, it's actually not as um, much funding decrease as uh, Republicans had initially hoped for.
0: All right, so could you uh, sort of spell out for us what concessions were made by both parties as they were trying to make this agreement? Yes, so in
1: terms of as I just mentioned uh, with the White House um, and the, the, the Democrats, they have you know agreed to at least some precision of the additional IRS funding secured um last year. And for Republicans, as I mentioned, they did not get any of the energy tax credits clawed back as they as originally agreed. And I think, you know, looking at the deal, it really is a reflection of the current political makeup that we have in Washington. We have a Democrat president, a slim Democrat majority in the Senate, and a thin uh, Republican Majority in the House. So, in terms of what Republicans had initially looked for um, in terms of their previous legislation, the, the Limit, Save, and Grow um, Act, and what has actually been agreed to between Speaker McCarthy and the president, um, and what's become law, it really is a reflection of you know, the, the current political reality we're living in. Were Republicans going to be able to extract um, some concessions from? Democrats? Yes. Were they can be able to get everything that they wanted? No. And I think that's reflected in this bill.
0: How much did they really get at the end of the day compared to what they were aiming for? So in terms of what they originally, uh, Republicans had originally asked for, they'd asked for
1: $71 billion of the $80 billion uh, rescinded at the IRS. It looks like with adding up both what is actually being rescinded, Immediately the one point four billion with the extra um twenty billion over the next two fiscal cycles, that announced about twenty-five percent. So it's not again, as I just mentioned, it's not everything that they wanted, but I think that it's a re- it's and that's a reflection of the political um situation um that we're in. For Biden and the Democrats, you know, they were not able to hold on to um all the funding that they wanted. They view the IRS funding as a crucial component to their effort to raise revenues and to go after high-income uh, tax dodgers as well as multinational corporations. So not everybody got what they wanted, and, and you see that reflected in the bill.
0: So how did the final vote play out in, in the House and in the Senate? So in the House, what you had is a, a very interesting Situation where you had
1: you know the center from basically both parties come together and pass this bill, and the more extreme elements of um, both parties come out against this. So you had progressive Democrats um, and you know conservative Republicans uh, voting against this bill. Progressives such as um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez claiming that the the spending cuts went too far, and you have um, you have on the other side you have Republicans claiming that the clawback of the IRS funding wouldn't go far enough. And so you have this uh, situation, so you had a situation basically where, you know, the the diehard sort of passionate wings of both parties unhappy with the deal uh, while the core coming together and getting the bill passed. I won't repeat what kind of uh, sandwich, you know, Congressman Chip Roy um, described uh, this bill, but you can definitely tell that you know, sort of the more, Conservative element of the Republican Party uh, were not happy with this agreement, and that was also seen with progressives on the left. So, in the Senate, um, it was a much more partisan vote. A large portion of Republicans uh, voted against the bill. So, really, the the area of contention, the area of, of fierce debate, really took place um, in the House.
0: All right so now that this bill has been passed what are we hearing from both sides about how they feel about the the end result So both
1: sides have really tried to uh portray this deal as the best outcome um given the current political environment uh, as I mentioned given the the uh, makeup of Congress and 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 um who is in charge of the White House so in terms of how they're portraying this deal it's not necessarily seeing it as a win. So both sides are trying to crop up the concessions that they were able to achieve, uh, while also downplaying some of the concessions that they um, had to make.
0: All right. Now, you mentioned this side agreement about $20 billion. What, what really is this agreement and and what are we going to see from it?
1: So yeah, in terms of, uh, like I mentioned, the agreement is not in the bill. It's simply a, if you want to call it a gentleman's agreement, uh, between the president and Speaker McCarthy, and it calls for ten billion dollars again of the additional funding that was allocated to the IRS to um, be repurposed uh, both in fiscal year 2024 and in 2000 in fiscal year 2025, and so it's nothing in written. Um, and it's not in law, but it's something that going into uh, the upcoming appropriations process we 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 should um, see happening. Republicans, especially those in the Freedom caucus, have sort of grumbled about that is not necessarily because it's not necessarily into law that it might not happen. Um Democrats are scrambling and saying that we have to find additional funding for in order to make up for that shortfall. So it's unclear how the reappropriation will play out in the next uh, two fiscal cycles. Um there hasn't been an indication of what the funds will be repurposed for. um, But it is understood that this $20 billion will uh, indeed be clawed back from the funding.
0: What have we heard from the White House about their position on this loss of money for the IRS? So the White House has been playing this off as a temporary
1: setback in terms of their overall goal to uh, to remodernize the agency. Officials um, have said that this 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 rescission will have no um, effect on the short-term and, and medium-term um, efforts to revitalize uh, the agency. They did, however, say that with the funding, with this funding being rescinded, that there would be potential need to um, come back uh, to Congress, ask for more money down the road. So essentially kicks the can down in terms of um, what sort of effect the funding uh, will have for,
0: for the IRS. So have we heard from IRS Commissioner Werfel about uh, what it means for his agency? Yes. Yeah, so after Biden signed the
1: deal, he expressed confidence um, like the White House has in terms of that this deal will have no bearing on the uh, modernization efforts of the agency. He said the IRS is still uh, on a, a positive trajectory. So in terms of in terms of what um, has been coming from the commissioner in terms of the reaction
0: of this deal. Again, just trying to take a positive spin on it. And what's next? Is this issue actually solved all the way into 2025? So I think the key thing to consider here is that the
1: bill suspends the debt limit up until January 2025. So essentially, this bill Lays out the political ground rules for the next year and a half um, of both the Congress, uh, the makeup in Congress, and the White House. So it basically takes those concerns that both Republicans and Democrats have had, and it basically uh, puts it on the ballot in 2024. And I think that's that's sort of the the crucial thing to consider here is that it's not necessarily something that is a long term fix. It's not necessarily something that is all set in stone. Um, It simply is a, as I said in the beginning, a a reflection of the political
0: reality that we're in. Well, all right, Alex, thank you so much for being here. And we can happily not talk about debt limits for, uh, I guess, a year and a half. Sounds good. Now, coming attractions. Each week, we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us?
2: Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Sandy Frund examines the declining submission and acceptance rates of offers in compromise. Jack Cummings examines the taxation of private school vouchers in light of the IRS's announcement of a waiver for potential taxation of state pandemic payments. In Tax Notes State, Timothy Noonan and Mario Cato discussed New York budget highlights, as well as successes and failures in a range of New York tax proposals. Robert Willens discusses the significance of establishing domicile in New York tax law. He explains how federal rules and case law for determining income can inform application of the state law. In Tax Notes International, Theophilus Tawia compares the benefits and challenges associated with different collaborative tax strategies to combat climate change globally. Four KPMG practitioners examine the transfer pricing issues that companies should take into account in their ESG-related tax planning. And finally, in featured analysis, Nana Amasarfo discusses how a recent IMF paper on anti-money laundering measures and tax crimes is important for tax compliance and domestic revenue mobilization.
0: That's it for this week. You can follow me online at Tax Stew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at taxnotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk.